I'm Janelle Mullen, and this is Competent Young Woman, an alternative local news source. This podcast is a collection of conversations with people around matters affecting Litchfield County, Connecticut. I started this podcast because as we emerge from the global pandemic, we're finally able to sit down with one another to have in-depth, meaningful conversations. I hope these episodes restore our collective faith in humanity, our trust in one another, and civility within our communities. I've decided to name this podcast Competent Young Woman as a cheeky response to local reporters' reference made to me, which felt very much like tokenism. I was identified by my gender and by my perceived age, but I wasn't referenced for the actual work that I was conducting in the region as a professional. I've noticed many local news stories not capturing all sides and also not digging in deep enough. I hope the conversations on competent young women engender more genuine respect and civility within our communities through inspiring human stories and through long discussions. I hope that you enjoy this. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. So I'm here with Adam Scher. Adam, do you mind starting by telling me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this area? Yeah, um, great to be with you and thanks for inviting me. I came to Northwest Connecticut uh, about 15 years ago. I never would have seen myself coming to this area. I didn't really know that it existed. I grew up um, outside of Washington, D.C. in the Virginia suburbs. And then I went to college in the other Washington, in Washington State, at the Evergreen State College in Olympia. And I was out there for 12 years or so. And then I started to get interested in Jewish community. I was raised Jewish and didn't have any connection to that. But there was a kind of a movement towards back to the land stuff and um, progressive social values in in the Jewish community. And there was a very interesting farm and retreat center in Falls Village, Connecticut, that was kind of the hub of that. So I ended up coming out here. Sight unseen. Sight unseen, pretty much. And was going to do a summer program out here with them because I was teaching eighth grade social studies in Seattle. Uh, and I had the summer off. So that's kind of the benefit of being a teacher is that you can, in theory, do fun things in the summer. But I ended up never leaving. Why? Why didn't you leave? Because I ended up, I think, in a quarter-life crisis, right? Which I think maybe other people can identify with as well. Like, I went through high school and went through college and went into grad school after a couple of years after college and was just kind of on this path and hadn't taken the time to explore all of the different other possibilities in life and the world. And so I think through a series of different experiences that this one was kind of in that series and, and kind of amping up in, 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 in intensity of what are the other kinds of ways that people can live and be in the world, I just kind of dropped out. And I had the opportunity to do that because I was about to start a new job. And I saw that as an opportunity because I wasn't like, you know, obliged to go back and, uh, and, and be back in that cycle. 
the other thing that that helped with that was that at the very end of that summer, um, I met the person who I would later, six years later, marry, and now we have two kids and live in Falls Village. And she was one of the farm educators and and uh, managers at the farm in, in, in Falls Village at the Jewish Retreat Center. So there was kind of a big opening into another life that I just saw and I jumped into it. And even then, this was 2007-8, I didn't necessarily envision that I would settle into this area in the way that I have. It felt like an island out of time and space and I was just in this, in this bubble. Um, and then slowly I started to discover what what was going on in this area and what Falls Village was like and the people there. And and I kind of fell in love with it. And so, you know, here we are 12 years later and I've gotten, I'd say, moderately involved in the community and really certainly interested in feeling committed um, and and also ambivalent mm -hmm. in like lots of different feelings about it, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, so you're in Falls Village now, and what do you think is the biggest thing going on within your community? I think the biggest thing going on in Falls Village right now, unfortunately, is a, a rending of the social fabric. I think that that is an underlying structural piece that drives a lot of what's going on. Coming out of the pandemic, well, <laughs> as much as we have been able to post-vaccination and resuming to some in-person meetings and just being able to be within our communities a little bit more than we have been through the past year, do you think that's strengthened our ties or do you think that's had the inverse effect? It certainly had the potential to strengthen our ties. And I think what it strengthened our ties to was the sense of what's at stake and what's possible in our communities, right? Because we both realized, I think everywhere people realized how much they would miss by being cut off from their friends and family and, and normal community happenings, whatever they are. But also the feeling that, especially in this area, that there's enormous potential to have a highly functioning community that's resilient and may be sustainable in a variety of ways and really cohesive and that we need that because I think that we all know maybe subconsciously, if not explicitly, that this isn't going to be the last kind of disaster mm -hmm. that we'll see. And this is what we have. Um, it's the sense of here-ness that we really need to be where we are and strengthen those ties of neighborliness and all of the community um, weaving that happens and that can happen more and more to create a more resilient community. And I think we know that we need that. So the, the stakes, I think, were raised by the pandemic of are we going to kind of get it together and what can be lost and what can be gained. Do you think that the Falls Village that you're in today lost something from the Falls Village that you first came to? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's directly tied to the pandemic or not, but I think it is tied to this sense of possibility and the stakes being raised and the intensity that comes along with that. Because the Falls Village that I came into and fell in love with, part of the reason why is that it was almost 
in a way that was hard to describe, very quirky and mm -hmm. funky mm -hmm. and like a, a, a little hamlet that sort of was almost slipped off of the radar of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, Main Street was almost empty. Yeah. And n not that any of these things are like wonderful things. We all want thriving businesses. But what there was, was really homespun and really community oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, when I would go and, and now it's back in a new incarnation, but when I would go to Toymaker's Cafe yeah. and you were just going to visit Annie and Greg uh -huh. and eat what Greg wanted to cook, basically, <laughs> yeah. and and meet the people who were there yeah. and just taste that dynamic of yeah. what the town was like. And the Falls Village Inn, uh, just a few years later, was very new and fresh and had a sense of, like, again, very homespun. Yeah. You knew everybody's name. And the library as well, a really a really community-centric library, not a hush place, mm -hmm. but a place where people come and share what's going on in their lives yeah. and look at art and get book recommendations and chat. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And all of those things were incredibly charming, but not like in a nostalgic way, at least for me, because that's not at all anything like what I had experienced before. I see. Um, in some ways, maybe it reminded me of Olympia, which is kind of a small city in yeah. in Washington, but it also had that funkiness and that very personal feeling mm -hmm. and a, a non-institutional feeling and mm -hmm. a non-corporate feeling. One of like, a kind. Yeah, like yeah. there's no, there would be no McDonald's downtown mm -hmm. and there's no Dunkin' Donuts is not coming to Falls Village. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit for so many reasons, mm -hmm. including that the density and the economic engine is very, very slow. That has advantages and disadvantages in a way, but I really saw the advantages of that. Mm -hmm. And I think now there is there is an intensity about the need and and various perceived directions that change could go. Yes. But the need to go and do, which I also feel and respect and understand why that is. And I do think that again, is tied to the pandemic, but things are changing. And, you know, there's some new businesses and yeah. we can talk about, you know, those details on the ground. But I think one of the things that really seems to have changed is, is as I said, the rending of the social fabric, that it really did feel uh, for my first decade here yeah. that, uh, of course, there's politics between people oh. and there's this these people who, you know, had a falling out with these people 20 years ago or whatever it might be. Yeah. But there's almost a feeling of sides and teams and agendas and hidden agendas. Mm -hmm. And that's not the spirit of this kind of like funky New England thing that I really fell in love with, which if anything else was yeah. sincere, mm -hmm. not like secrets yeah. don't, don't jive with yeah. that, that vibe. So the genuine community cohesiveness is what you feel is eroding. Yeah. And by the way, I certainly felt before the pandemic, frustrated is probably too strong of a word, but yeah. I wanted more community cohesiveness uh -huh. because I saw the potential for that because it already was so interwoven and warm. Um, but then I thought to myself, why don't we have 
block parties and, mm-hmm. and, you know, open mics and community conversations where we get together and talk about current events and up at the pool, you know, little festivals and there's so many artists. Yeah. So I always felt like, oh, the potential is here mm-hmm. to take this seed and just let it grow and grow. So I don't think that, I don't have that nostalgic sense that there was this incredibly rich, thriving community that now is being hampered somehow. It's that that potential was there. I do think the pandemic had a lot to do with kind of lighting the fire under it. And I'm I'm right now feeling a little disappointed with the way that uh, that that seed is being tended and and growing. So I met you through a committee that you volunteer on, and I'm curious why you put yourself out there to volunteer for the town. Yeah, so this is the Affordable Housing Task Team, which is charged to create a plan for the Falls Village municipality of what we're going to do with, with affordable housing. Did I volunteer for that because I'm passionate about affordable housing? No. Um, I, I, I recognize, um, and, and I've learned a lot, uh, but I think coming into it, I certainly recognize how important affordable housing is and how important it is to have a community that's diverse um, economically and in every way uh, and that we have a housing crisis. So all of that, yes, yeah. but that's not why I joined. Uh-huh. Um, that's also not why for a similar reason, that's not why I joined the Board of Education six years ago, and I've mm-hmm. been I've been on the on the Board of Education since then. And the reason why I joined that was also not because I'm an expert in education. Although I did get my master's in education, I was a school teacher before I came here, so I kind of had that. Yeah. But it's because I think it's that sense of hereness. Like mm. I'm here. Yes. I want to be involved. I want to know people. I want to know the issues. I want to be helpful if I can. Yes. And I feel it's that sense of, this isn't a phrase that actually resonates with me, but it's the one that comes up right now, which is like civic duty. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But I feel it in a more spiritual way almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's important and meaningful yes. to be involved and and some of our deepest and most important values are tied up with being active and contributive to your community. And that's part of what's, I think, been lost throughout the late 20th century. And really, we're in danger of losing in this country and maybe around the world is that mm-hmm. sense of like really being in a community. And that takes that takes being involved. So I joined the Board of Education for that reason. I joined uh, the affordable housing task team. And when I was asked to chair that team, uh, I was quite reticent, but I agreed to do it because I feel like if I'm being called and asked to do something, the, the, the burden of proof is on me to say why that would be really not a good idea. And I actually had that feeling of, I don't know that this is such a good idea because this is a very hot button issue. Mm-hmm. And I already saw before coming into it, the way in which there's a lot of acrimony and stalemate possibility and not that productive energy going into it. And the flip side of wanting to be involved and wanting to help is not wanting my time or energy to be taken advantage of or taken for granted or or wasted. 
not like, oh, please don't waste my time. It's, I'm so great. But, <laughs> but we all have a limited amount and I yes. want to make good on what I can do. Mm-hmm. So I was reticent about it, but I agreed to do that. I also just joined the board of the Falls Village Children's Theater. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm involved in the library where my wife is the assistant director and I help with, with their stuff and involved there. And, and hopefully other things in, in town that more you know, tangentially, yeah. I, 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 I'll touch. Does every group slash committee board that you're on have a particular personality or dynamic? Yeah, totally. Which one troubles you the most? Well, right now, the affordable housing task team <laughs> is definitely the most troubling one. And I think that's because it embodies that issue of the rending of the social fabric Mm -hmm. that without which you really can't get a lot done and anything that you would get done under those kinds of conditions is sort of tainted in my mind not just like on an emotional level but on a pragmatic level like what good can really come of something Mm -hmm. um this reminds me of when obama it, was it Obama and Mo- McCain in the first yes. Obama election? Yes. And someone said to me, who didn't know me at all at the time, "Are you for Are you for Obama or McCain?" Yeah. And of course, I, I voted for Barack Obama. Not of course, but I did. And <laughs> and but but I said to this person, "If you have a spaceship mm. and fifty percent of people want to go in one direction and fifty percent want to go in another direction, yeah, you have a spaceship problem. Yeah. It's not about." which direction you're going, which of course is very consequential. Yeah. But you have a spaceship problem. And I feel like we kind of have a spaceship problem (laughs) on the affordable housing task team. Now, the good thing about that is that at least the depths are surfacing there, Uh right? So there is something good about the deeper issues coming up. They might be personal. They might be other deeper structural issues that we don't like to talk about in our society. So they come up. So I could see in the board of education and Mm -hmm. there's part of me that kind of would like this (laughs) and maybe I've pushed a little bit towards it and not that much of surfacing some of that in the board of education. And if we did that, it could be also very difficult and challenging and hopefully not acrimonious, but it could be. So on the one hand, it's, the affordable housing team and the the flavor there is the most troubling. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, it's not necessarily a good thing for everything to be status quo, especially in a changing world that we live in. So I'm noticing this in many different towns across the region in one way or another, where it almost feels like a lot of issues, unspoken, um, long harbored bad feelings are suddenly coming to the surface and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Can you? (laughs) I think we could go deeper into this issue of, of why and how the pandemic, the economic impacts that came along with it and, um, and other things like the climate crisis and the Trump era and all of those things contributed to a kind of tipping point our in our society. Angst. And do you, because I'm struggling right now just thinking through, is it a generational thing as well? 
Mm-hmm. How old are you? I'm 41. Do you mind? Do you mind me asking? Yeah, yeah, I know, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so I'm 36, and I wonder, in coming back home, returning to my hometown after many years of being away, if in some ways it becomes an affront to the stat, if we become an affront to the status quo, and why and how, I'm not that aware of it because I'm walking around in my own body as a 36 year old and embodying everything that that means, speaking in the way that I speak, doing the things that I do, asking the questions that I do. But I wonder sometimes if this dredging up also has a lot to do with the population dynamics around here now. New people getting on boards and then the long timers realizing that it with that comes a whole new dynamic Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that it is generational and i also tend to think of the generational dynamics both as age because that's a real thing but also their states of mind Mm. right Mm -hmm. so i think that you know, it's interesting, the word millennial, like our, our generation, and, and I think I'm actually in this weird cusp part of the generation, but our generation of millennials, you know, we're called millennials because we kind of came of age right around the turn of the millennium. But the word millennial, like in the rest of the English language, means this sense of like epochal change, uh-huh. right? And like a shifting of the eras, and I think that our generation, that was, that's the defining characteristic mm-hmm. of the sense uh, that of a separation between the old and the new and maybe taking for granted that the, the, the ways of the 20th century are sort of are to be left behind. And, and I think that there's a I think that there's a, a tunnel vision in that as well. Mm-hmm. And so there can be an arrogance in that and at the same time uh it's almost like this area at least feels a lot like sleepy hollow uh (laughs) not sleepy hollow no 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 what's the word um rip van winkle oh you know oh oh I'm not well versed on my fables anymore. (laughs) But it got, got, it's like it got stuck in a certain era. era, Yeah. And partially that's because, you know, you grew up in this area, right? So um, partially that's because our generation that grew up in this area left. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was maybe just a dream, maybe in our parents' generation's eyes, that maybe we would come back. Yeah. But also understanding that this is a little corner of the world and you need to go out and go yeah. to the cities and do those things. Yeah. And so, um, and so then coming back into this like Rip Van Winkle thing and here, you know, folks wake up into the 21st century mm-hmm. and are like, wait, all of this stuff needs to get computerized. There's the, the, the wider issues of the world start impinging on us from everything from, socioeconomic issues to climate issues to a change changing aesthetics and expectations Mm -hmm. around lifestyles and identity identity and Mm -hmm. so it's like oh we didn't expect to uh 
to have to confront this. Mm -hmm. And so in, in our generation asserting ourselves a little bit, I think that there's almost a feeling of it's very ambivalent. It's like on the one hand, our energy and time is really valued and desired. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it's sort of expected to be in service to an era that we've left behind. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we're not willing to be of service in that era as much, it's almost a feeling of, of, of betrayal. And, you know, I would, we could talk about how that manifests in affordable housing. We could talk about how that manifests. I think I'm thinking of the school board as well in, you know, home ownership. Yeah. Um, and in what we want to do with our lives, both professionally and for fun and what opportunities are here, you know, we're not fitting into the, 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 the paradigm that, that was here, um, that we came back into. We didn't no, come back exactly. to do the thing that was done before. Yeah. We didn't come back. We want to bring this forward yes. while like honoring and like really honoring exactly the, all the things that are special about it. Yeah. And I think part of moving forward, um, advancing in whatever sense that might mean, but ushering us into the future um, and also ensuring that we have solid ground to stand on for the future and that people like your children do as well. And I think, sadly, it is in conflict. And more and more, as I get involved or just observe those that are involved, it's there as a little bit of a friction. Mm -hmm. And how do we overcome this? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have any any easy answers for that. But I think that's that's exactly what we want to be exploring. Yeah. And. Um, and I think we have to allow ourselves some free reign mm. to get creative about that, and um, and to and to make mistakes, which there's very little tolerance for. I, I know, think because I know. there's a lot of reactivity. Yeah. Um, so that makes it hard to be creative. And, and uh, I also just name because this is real for me in 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 the dynamics in this area, and I think probably this is the case in a lot of rural areas of of our country. Another dynamic is the is the homegrown versus imports. Yes. Right. Good point. And so, you know, your identity profile, among many other things, mm -hmm. includes your age and that you grew up here. Yeah. Right. And many other things. Yes. And for me, my age and that I didn't. Mm. Right. And so what am I bringing in from the outside? Do you and, feel constantly reminded that you aren't from here? Um. No, but I think that um, it's hard not to be constantly reminded of the different cultures that exist side by side here, mm. and that and that there are there are cultures that are native to this place in in you know our short time scale, and it's the you know the city people yeah and 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 all of that kind of thing and you know i've also seen i spoke with a friend in town the other day he's been here i think 25 years mm -hmm. and you know that feeling of like you have to be here for 20 years before mm -hmm. you really 
like belong. And even then, that's that generation that came here and some of them who had kids raised their kids here. And so once your kids go all the way through high school, it's like yeah. you're kind of here. Okay. But even still, you you know, they moved up from city, yes. usually New York in this area yeah. at some point. And that's not the same as the, uh, you know, just name names someone who I respect, uh, like a, an elder in the area, like a Lou Timelot, mm-hmm. you know, who's like, right there like center of the um center of, of the false village universe it, yeah, in a, yeah in in a in a way like a, a emblematic of and and there's other other folks in town who who I would put in that same character you know Dick Hines who was telling me about when he grew up here mm-hmm. and he's 75 years old or older I think yeah. and how he would run around down downtown and what it was like and that there was the full grocery store and there are people who remember when the train used to come through here yeah. from New York City and I think that's so fascinating and also speaks to a sense of possibility whether it's the train or something else that there were 24-hour stores in Falls Village wow. it was bustling and thriving and there yeah. were all of these kids yeah but that sense of nostalgia yeah and what's what was lost in that generation, mm-hmm. which I think are the boomers and, and even a little bit older, like the, the you know, Korean War generation. Yeah. yeah. It's that nostalgia is also corrosive. Yeah. Because uh, because it's looking back. Yeah. And it's not looking forward necessarily. And so we can get into this holding pattern. Do you think that we're a community that is intolerant in some ways or exclusive yes and no yeah yeah i think that our community is part of america and all of the american dynamics that are in larger society are definitely here yeah and so you know you can look at just the bumper stickers yes and when i go down to the dump i see some (laughs) bumper stickers and i'm like whoa this person is from a different place and has values expressed by their bumper stickers that um are anathema to me and I think are destructive to the world and other people. Okay. But that would be the case pretty much anywhere Mm. in in our country. Yes. There's definitely a culture war going on and I think that's very real and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, right now I think an easy shorthand for that are your Trumpists and, and, and your folks who aren't for whatever reason, they might be Republicans or Democrats, but Clearly, there is a divide in our country and yes. is a divide that's, you know, we're, we're not over that era. Do you think the divide past. or the what you're seeing in Falls Village is politics? Is it is it mostly politics? No, it's culture. It's not politics. It's not about policies, per se, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and I think that people pretty much across the spectrum, probably with a few extreme outliers, are people who are very kind and respectful to people whoever they are any intersection of all the identities and 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 all of it and are going to be kind and respectful Mm -hmm. that said i think that there are deeper biases and insider outsider sorts of of dynamics that that are particular to our area and have to do with traditional and, and the sense of nostalgia traditional values mm-hmm. um and at some kind of friction with with the more kind of progressive and forward thinking values that are in our wider society 
I don't think that that's a a surface level tension. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a little deeper than that, but it's here. Now, the biggest issue that I can think of in False Village that I'm aware of at the moment is River Road Homes. Mm -hmm. This whole um, disjointedness of the community. Do you think it's representative of a very unique to Falls Village issue because of this potential project? Or do you think there's more to it than that? I think there's definitely more to it than that. It's not just a Falls Village issue. I think here it takes on its own flavor because there's particular characters involved who are playing particular roles. Yeah. And that's that gets down into the nitty-gritty of personalities and specific <laughs> things that get said yes. either out in public or behind closed doors. Yeah. But I think that these are issues uh, that have to do with going back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier around just the potential of the area and which which directions does it grow and how does that seed get cultivated and and how does it grow and what fruits does it bear. So River Road Homes, I think, represents a, a model of growth that is recognizable in the wider world as, you know, creating a new development, taking land that's not being used by humans uh, in a conventionally productive way mm -hmm. and making and putting something down there. Um, a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of materials and the outcome is, um, you know, is, is, is driven by the kinds of metrics that governments use to measure things and, and all really well-intentioned. Yeah. And I think that what is also emblematic about that and the reason why I said that the social fabric issue is really the key issue is that the way that we grow and develop as a civilization yeah. on the planet yes. either is determined by few people mm -hmm. or in more of a communal sense. Yeah. And I think that the feeling that drives the acrimony right now mm -hmm. is that this project is is not one that, that has full community support. Um, mm -hmm. And that's also natural, right? That's part of living in a democracy. Some people... Yeah agree with things and some people don't but then there's you know questions of process and whether or not they're justified and accurate if if the process has been appropriate or not just that being out there mm -hmm. the sense of things not being proper yeah. the sense of things of people's views and and opinions and expertise for to whatever degree it exists are not being fully brought into the yeah. process creates a, a, a very difficult set of conditions upon which to build success mm -hmm. as a community. Yeah. And so it, River Road Homes could be the greatest thing ever. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, it has less of a chance of overall adding value to the community mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's so divisive in, in how it comes about. Where do you think we lost our way? Do you think in the process, in the projects that we're seeking, in has it been a slow burn? 
just little by little us losing each other and losing our sense of community or do you think something happened more quickly both yeah <clears throat> i think that ultimately you know and, and a little earlier uh we were talking about the ability to make mistakes and how that's where like creativity comes from and is like made space for. Yeah. So I think there, look, a, a, a large housing development, mm -hmm. um, which are the kinds of things that get built all over the world, Yes. I think is in a sense, a fundamentally uncreative thing mm -hmm. because it's replicating other things that have happened and yeah. things that have worked or not worked as well or whatever it is yeah. but that's just what you do yeah and the government grants are available yeah. to do those kinds of things or at least it's a, that's an obvious thing that one could do yes and you need a certain number of units of housing and that's how you get it yeah and it's chick 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 yeah um, it all fits into those boxes mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of our problems on the planet, in our country, in our tiny little community, yes. do have to do with a lack of creativity. Mm. And so there's always many ways to do things. Yeah. And this is something that was went through a lot of process and yeah. through all of the conventional municipal channels mm -hmm. to get its approval yes. and zonings yes. and all of those and grant applications and all of those things. And I think what did push it over was a was a a shift in the leadership structure of the entire town that destabilized things enough to open up the possibility for for more voices to be involved and yeah. for more voices to be louder yeah. and for people to form new kinds of coalitions mm -hmm. and create more noise and more challenge and those things have snowballed. Yeah. So the other night, um, Bill Maher, he said, those who bitch the loudest always win. Do you think that that's happening here? I don't know who's winning. Yeah. I don't know who's winning because I think that it's clear that the River Road Homes process is continuing to move forward yeah. regardless of however many letters to the editor mm. or pieces of information that are circulated yeah. um, with contested accuracy, it continues to move forward. And that's also the way of the world. Mm. Like the, yeah. the conventional and the status quo yeah. has enough momentum mm -hmm. and precedent mm -hmm. behind it to just keep mm. plodding along. Yeah. And the, this is maybe tangential, but, yeah. um, one of the things that I think I saw during the Trump era mm -hmm. was that the progressive left yes. and even the liberal center left seeded yeah. uh, the counterculture to yeah. the right. Yeah. So now the even when Trump was president, yeah. this far right wing became the counterculture. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And whereas the left wing in the 20th century was more of the counterculture. Yeah. So to translate that into what's going on here, yeah. I think that once the system mm -hmm. supports something, yes. the, the opposition, mm -hmm. the counterculture always has a 
social and psychological advantage in some way yeah. because it's challenging the status quo yeah. because it's poking holes mm -hmm. and trying to show the ways in which the people who think that they're so smart aren't <laughs> actually so smart yeah. and there is a lot of energy behind that mm -hmm. and that's the same kind of energy in a less unpleasant way yeah. that i think that we generally generationally are talking about wanting to to bring forward to say mm -hmm. hey the way that things have been doesn't isn't necessarily the way that things need to be yeah and can we think about possibilities and exactly. can we get creative yeah and on the housing committee or the, the affordable housing task team yeah. the thing that i've appreciated that's come from the opposition to river road homes mm -hmm. has been once we put aside trying to poke all the holes in in that thing yeah saying hey they're there's other things that we could be doing yeah. maybe not instead of maybe in addition to yes but there's other kinds of things that are possible that energy has the potential to mm -hmm. bring forward creativity in a way that once you have your grant applications yeah. written and yeah. you've sunk years into mm -hmm. planning you get closed down into that sense of possibility yeah you know um we have i don't know when the insurance industrial complex came around that made our healthcare system just like set in how it is but now <laughs> yes. that it's set in how yes. it is yeah like the appetite for medicare for all yeah only rests with the people who want it which might be a hundred million people yeah but it's not everybody and the powers that be are like it's not just that it's not to their advantage mm -hmm. it's there's an entire system built up around this. Yeah. And we have great hospitals and research in this country. It's yeah. there's so much going for it. You really want to dismantle that and have a communist yeah. healthcare system? <laughs> yeah. You want to take all those kinds of risks? Yeah. So so those are the deeper cultural yeah. um and culture war kind of dynamics that that I'm talking about. And 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 I think it's because there is a, a rise in sort of a countercultural thing here that did create a tipping point that's playing on the sense of traditional yeah. conventionality, mm -hmm. which kind of existed here in like a cute, funky New England way yeah. and kind of got flipped. And by the way, Pat McCare yeah. was first selectman for how long? A while. 20 years maybe <laughs> yeah. somewhere between 10 and 20 yeah. years yes it was a regime yeah and and it, and it held a certain status quo mm -hmm. and i don't mean that in a negative way yeah. i think i think falls village solidified what falls village was with her leadership and the other people who were on the board of selectmen and the board of finance and planning and zoning and it was like a stable set of people for a long time yeah and then when she stepped down and henry todd came up and that election between henry was running against Joel Jones. Yes. There definitely seemed to be a shift there mm -hmm. because Henry, although he came up from the city, yeah. came up 20 years ago yes. as a weekender or whatever with Pam and they had their house and doing their thing and involved in the town sitting on several boards. Yeah. Joel and Felicia came up in a slightly more recent yeah. time frame. Yeah. And then he joined some boards and even though Joel is kind of in in a generation, one generation back from us, and Henry's yeah. two generations mm -hmm. back from us. Mm -hmm. um, there was that like generational thing, huh. and and both Joel and Henry are coming from the corporate world. Yes. And it was this whole sense of like 
So there was a destabilization, and River Road Homes has now very, the controversy has very much bled into judgments on Henry's leadership yeah. and the Board of Selectmen yeah. and, uh, and what the coming election is going to look like. Yeah. So there's no way in a small area like ours that all of these things aren't interconnected. I mean, they, they really are. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to your earlier comment um, around failing and just this reluctance to do any wrong. <laughs> um, do you ever bite your tongue during meetings when you want to say something, but you're almost stifled because of this fear of failure or timidness that sometimes we find within ourselves? Yes, I choose my words carefully. Yeah. Um, and certainly on the Board of Education, yeah. I've felt that many times. Now that we're being recorded on Zoom, it doesn't help either. Yeah, although we were always on CATV and, yeah. and, and all of that, so I don't know that I feel that differently. But yes, being, being public and all of that is part of it. But I think more it's, it's the sense of what are the coalitions in town mm. who are the allies in certain kinds of, of interest areas and am I going out on a limb where not just that I might fail mm. but that no one wants to just scream into the wind yeah you know so um you know <laughs> some with, people do <laughs> some people do some people don't mind screaming um, into the wind <laughs> but isn't that 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 does seem to be a bit of an age thing right yes because yes. if you're if you've kind of had your career and your kids are grown if you yeah. have kids and whatever it you is you have your house you have your house yeah you just kind of let your freak flag fly and <laughs> say what you want to say you yeah. know we're censoring ourselves a little so that's a really good point because i was about to say you know it's understandable that we might do that but that's that's the problem yeah. right we shouldn't be doing that yeah but in order to have our generation's version of letting our freak flags fly we also have to be organized and yeah. we also have to have allies across generations it's true um and for god's sake allies across towns it's like falls village is like its own little world I know. and never the twain shall meet yeah. of like the thing that's seven minutes down the road yeah um yeah but the issues that are looming large in Falls Village are the issues that are looming large in Cornwall, are the issues that are lo looming large in Morris. They're you all, know this from your work. Yeah, but they're also so indicative of what's going on in our country. Yeah. And I think there is a lot to learn from one another. And it's so interesting that we are so siloed in that way even though you live in Falls Village and you I'm sure find yourself in a different town to grocery shop to visit with friends to grab dinner and for whatever reason we're not relying on our neighbors in the greater sense of our neighbors mm -hmm. our greater communities mm -hmm. so not only are we speaking about a schism that you see within Falls Village amongst your own neighbors, but then, you know, across town barriers within this greater region? We're not seeking each other for help um, or for guidance or for, you know, be, to be a sounding board or anything. Um, and I think that might have a little bit to do with it. And I also feel like 
in our generation, we're holding back a little bit and it might be out of politeness and it might be out of not wanting to overstep, not wanting to ruffle feathers or rub people the wrong way. Um, but isn't that a little bit of maintaining the status quo? Yes. And I think it's, there's another piece, not just that we don't want to ruffle feathers or any of those things that have to do with uh, reticence or maybe even some lack of courage in a certain way, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's also that it's not fun. I know. Right? And, and it's not like everything has to be like balloons and I ponies. Know. I know. Why do I want to give my time and my evenings to doing these things? There needs to be that sense of camaraderie yes, and the sense of getting point. things done yeah. and not getting things done for the sake of getting things done either. Yeah. But so I think there's 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 the there's the inverse of of our of our reticence. Yeah. Um, I like your use of the word camaraderie. I I really <laughs> I came back really wanting to engender community. I love having people over to my porch and getting together and it would be so nice to feel like you can leave a meeting and say, let's go grab a beer. Let's, yeah. you know, go do this. We're not doing that. We're not doing We're that. We're not doing that. Right. It ab absolutely true. And when the meeting's three and a half hours long, <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to go have a beer at two hours. Seriously. You know, yeah. I could do two hours. Yeah. I do the three and a half regularly with the board of education. Oof. And yeah. sometimes there's good reason for it. Yeah. Um, but in, in any case, uh, yeah. And those simple gestures of just let's step away from our screen, let's talk to each other like neighbors, and let's get to know each other. It's not happening. And right. people aren't introducing themselves or going out of their way to make other people feel like they're at home. And I think we all want to just find a sense of home. Yeah. We are on this life's journey for our sense of home and we're not helping each other find that. And I'm hoping we can do a better job at it, maybe even amongst, you know, friends within our own generation. But like you said before, the cross-generation linkages, it's really going to be what will help us. I don't want to be dramatic and say, save us, but I definitely think we'll help us along because um, there's certainly a dismantling going on. Yeah. And I don't see the end in sight. Well, as an, as an example of that, I don't actually remember exactly how we met, but one of the things that truly made me and, and, and my wife Meg feel at home here in the broader community outside of our little bubble at, at at Camp Friedman was that Robin Allen Cockerline oh. um, started inviting us over for dinner all the time. Cool. S and such great people. Yeah. Totally enmeshed in the social fabric yeah. and the municipal fabric yeah. of this area. Mm -hmm. They didn't grow up here, but they raised their kids here and fully, fully um, involved. Yeah. And could oh, yeah. kind of give um, in a very casual way different kinds of guidance about different issues that are happening, or let me introduce you to these people. And, and, you know, I often will call Robin and say, you know, uh, I mean, often a couple times a year, maybe now and say, 
you know, this is going on, you know, what's, what's the history here or, mm-hmm. or, you know, anything like that. So that's a good example of the cross-generational thing. Yeah. I think, you know, they're a little younger than my parents. Uh-huh. Um, and a total feeling of camaraderie and, and peerness yes. with, with them, although they hold a lot of wisdom and experience that I don't have. So mm-hmm. that sort of intergenerational thing is so important. And it's almost yeah. cliche when we talk about generational stuff, the need for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s to have elders, to have mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there shouldn't be that sense of that sense of a generational divide. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, one of those things, even if it's not acrimonious, mm-hmm. you can't have a healthy society and a healthy community mm-hmm. with that going on. Yeah. Younger people and older people are like fundamentally somehow different. I mean, that's just it's counterproductive and and it's it's silly because it actually erases also many of the particularities of 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 people i mean there could be people of the same age in their 70s who are completely different than one another obviously mm-hmm. in terms of values and experience but i i when you say you don't see the possibility of it changing i think that um i don't totally agree because good. yeah <laughs> oh, good yeah because <laughs> Because we are in a time of upheaval yes. and turmoil yes. in our community mm-hmm. and in all of the encompassing circles, mm. in, all the way up to our planet. Yeah, um, up, yes. And that is the, you know, that's the crisis tunity, yeah. you know, that you have where things can actually change. And going back to this sense of social fabric, mm. and I do think that our generation in particular if if we went back over this interview and we took and we looked at how many times the word community has been used yeah a lot yeah. and if you have substantive conversations with anybody in our demographic yeah community community com- it's one of those words it's like a big big word that yeah. we use a lot yeah and that's because it's important to us or there's something that we feel like we don't have that we want to have mm-hmm. and it might be a stand-in for a lot of other concepts that are harder <laughs> to to articulate for some touchy feeling yeah <laughs> yeah and also a sense of i mean again millennial yes. we we grew up in a world where we knew in a way that our parents well our parents had nuclear bombs so it actually started with them too but this sense of like precarity that like we we are not the inheritors of a world that is stable and 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 in fact it might be a world that is you know now you can look at the news or any scientific studies and it's like oh my god we actually might go extinct well like our blood might boil on the street that's crazy that moment what does that do psychologically i know and i think that moment for me was 9-11 mm-hmm. and then that second moment for me is probably the pandemic mm-hmm. which is also really wrapped up in global warming climate change right now mm-hmm. so i think we're reckoning with the fact that the world ahead of us might not actually be better <laughs> yeah. and this might be we might be the first generation that has to deal with that. Yes, that really has to deal with it. The boomers were able to dodge it yeah. and accumulate massive wealth. Those of them who were able to do that, yeah. but certainly generationally they were. And, you know, it doesn't really look like we'll be able to do that. It's just those of us who will inherit that wealth, which is another 
whole thing. Biggest transfer, transfer of wealth in human history yeah. between our parents' generation and our generation, regardless of our individual circumstances. That's a larger demographic thing. Yeah, we have to deal with it. And I think that there, again, it's like batting down the hatches a bit into this, into this sense of community. Okay, here we are in Falls Village yeah. and in this region. By and large, the water's still clean uh, and drinkable, yeah. right? By and large, we're not having wildfires. We're not having brownouts. We're not having riots. Yeah. A and some of it is because of our removal mm -hmm. from the the general makeup of our society. It's yeah. there's like a you know there's a rural and sort of cultural step back that we have, and yeah. there's a privilege that we have that step back here. But it's that sense of potential. Like we could get it. I love that Falls Village is called Falls Village. I love, I love, I love the word village. I mean, the yes. falls are cool. Yeah. Deadly, but cool. <laughs> Very deadly. <laughs> um, but, but village, mm -hmm. what is a village? What could it mean to have mm -hmm. a village in yeah. the mid late 20th, 21st century? Mm -hmm. You know, that concept, I like village more than I like community just because community is like overused. Yeah. What is community a village? Is it's like overused. a livable scale and you have villages that can be part of a larger municipality yeah. that can be part of a larger county structure and all of those things but the village is where you live that's that sense of hereness yeah. and everybody in the village in some way should have a role and and give into that structure and give financially into those structures even if it's five bucks that yeah. you give to you know, every nonprofit in town every year, yeah. everybody has to be involved and wants to be involved and feels the benefit of being involved. That cannot happen in, you know, McLean, Virginia, where I grew up, which yeah. is a huge suburb of, yeah. of, of DC. Mm -hmm. It can't happen in so many places because the scale is wrong. And here it can happen. So it's all the more frustrating, yeah. right? Yeah. To, to feel that like slipping out of our grasp and yeah. how much time do we have to get it together? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that the ante was upped with the pandemic yeah. because we know that it's not the last thing. And in fact, we might be going back into some version of the lockdown now yeah. in the coming months, but it's not gonna be the last whole set of disasters that will come in our lifetime more than likely. So, okay, what did we learn? What can we do? Let's do it with some efficiency and also community input. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone will say this regardless of where they sit with River Road Homes, right? <laughs> but going back to that, yeah, I'm all for affordable housing. Everyone's yeah. going to say they're all for affordable housing. I live in affordable housing according to the state definition, you know, and I bought my house. <laughs> so like I'm in a pr pretty <laughs> good position of privilege, but it's not a million dollar house. So I live in affordable housing, right? Mm -hmm. And I rented in Falls Village for eight years before that and would not have been able to stay here without my $800 rent that I had yeah. in the house for three years when I didn't make any money, mm -hmm. you know, so, or, or didn't, you know, uh, make a lot of money. So uh, I'm all for affordable housing. Is River Road Homes the thing that I want this town to be focused on, mm -hmm. the thing that I want this town to be ripped up about, yeah. the thing that I want this town to produce, that's mm -hmm. like, we worked our ass off for a decade yeah. and got this development. Mm -hmm. And now 16 families who we would love to be here can now hopefully afford to live there. Yeah. Is that the solution that we need? 
or not solution? Is that the process moving forward that we need? Is that our creative approach to being having an adaptive mentality towards the world that's coming? It's definitely not. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not. It might be part of it, mm-hmm. but there's only so much energy. Mm-hmm. And especially when things get ripped up socially, yeah. it makes it harder to do anything else because now everyone's polarized. And if it's this team's idea, then that team's not going to be with it, even if it's a great idea. Yeah. So to get things done, you're basically saying we cannot be ripped up socially. We cannot be ripped up socially <laughs> to get things done. That is definitely what I'm saying. Yeah. And then we have to just think about what our priorities are. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want affordable housing. There is a finite amount of energy and time and 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 everything else that can go into getting affordable housing, getting a, 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 a sustainable energy infrastructure, getting um building social infrastructure, partially because there's only so many people who even get involved in leadership to make those things happen. So what are our priorities? And if five or 10 years from now, when River Road Homes is built and we look back and we say, you know, the main thing that we got done was built this development, did a couple other things, Mm -hmm. but basically we're more or less the same Falls Village that we've been, yeah. We've missed it in an opportunity and not to be overly dramatic, but it might be like a deadly miss. Yeah. We're like, holy shit, we wish that we had gotten our energy infrastructure together. Yeah. Or truly, yeah. most importantly, we wish yeah. we had gotten our social infrastructure together. Built your village. Because now we don't trust each other. <laughs> there's all these teams. Yeah. There's all these secret deals and mm-hmm. whisperings. And, yes. and, and now when we actually have to rely on each other yeah. because something even more serious than a pandemic comes along or what whatever it is mm-hmm. now we just pissed away our 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 good faith efforts into something that you know is it really worth it yeah. it's not and and I'm using River Road Homes as an example because it's like the hot topic it is yes but that's sort of not your... what it's about it's about priorities yeah yeah it's sort of the it's the martyr, so to speak, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's unfortunate because it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And um, and it's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy target because the scale is so off for mm-hmm. Falls Village. We don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's so unusual for us. So it's an easy target. It's interesting. I saw, um, I saw somebody shared from Sharon, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, 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 one of our neighbor towns, that the board of selectmen said to the town, we have X amount of money that's coming from the government because of, you know, economic windfall, windfall yeah. from, from COVID. Yeah. Let's talk about what we want to do with it. <laughs> I thought that was great. I'm proud of Sharon as my hometown. So why don't we have that? And how much money is coming to Falls That Even that, that phrasing, though, doesn't sound right to me. Like, I, I know that's not actually how it works, where they're like, here's a check for $400,000. Do whatever you want. Yeah, that's not well, how it works. Yeah, yeah. But you think just to have your community, you know, people amongst your community sit down and talk around priorities. Yes. Especially given the new perspective I think many of us now have, not to mention the new demographic that all of our towns have. Yeah, and one thing that's needed to do that, I don't know how Sharon will do it, but it's this word, it's this phrase that that keeps popping into my head, social infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it would be 
expert facilitation yeah. of that kind of conversation. Yeah. yeah. Not whoever's willing to, to moderate the Zoom call. Yeah. It's expert facilitation. Mm -hmm. So our friend Rebecca at one point last year said, I'd love to do a nonviolent communication workshop for oh, the town. Cool. Well, first of all, anything that we do that anyone wants to do for the town, you get 20 people. So yeah. that's one hurdle to get over. Yeah. Secondly, is nonviolent communication NVC Marshall, the guy who came up, is that the right thing? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, what is the right thing? I don't know. Yeah. But the idea that we need some commonly held concepts of how to talk with each other yes. and that we actually yes. are going to buy in and follow those rules, mm -hmm. even if it isn't something that comes naturally to us. And even if we do then have to bite our tongue yeah. and we don't just get to say whatever we want to say because we're used to doing that in yeah. life, yeah. which we've seen. Yeah, um, but that's trust. That's trust. That's trust. It, and it's buy-in. And there's something, at least the libertarian individualist cowboy sense of America, which I don't think is belongs to Republicans. It almost is a generational thing where it's like, I'm a 65-year-old white man and I'm used to saying whatever I want to say and nobody's oh, going to yes. tell me <laughs> that there's rules yeah. about how to communicate. That's mm -hmm. my First Amendment rights. Yeah. It's like, there's been a lot it's of a mis that. It's a misunderstanding of what what norms are really about yeah um because they don't extend across the entire social context mm -hmm. but they're they're social so it's a social contract they're agreements they're ways that we say that we're going to communicate with each other or or, or a process that we're going to agree on and then everyone's going to be a part of that process mm -hmm. and it's those kinds of communal or community or <laughs> communitarian sort of uh, 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 agreements yeah. that are antithetical, I think, to many people in a generation before us. Mm -hmm. And they're actually something that our generation sort of craves in a, in a way. And it's one of the reasons why we're willing to, you know, there's enough people in our generation who will join the Democratic Socialists of America. Yeah. It's like, that's not that scary to us to say, like, we actually need to sacrifice mm -hmm. some of our unearned um, uh, individual right to have the guzzling car yeah. because we're actually in this together. And the generation before us was so traumatized by communism and abuses yeah. of that kind of stuff that it's like very antithetical to them. Yeah. But we're, even on the micro level, we're willing to, to have agreements about process and communication that yes. even though I might then roll my eyes or whatever it is, yeah. um, on, on every level, but we're more than willing to do it yeah. because we want to have an inclusive and welcoming and functional conversation and, and, and village. And so I think, again, those are those deeper cultural issues at play. What do you think the world of the internet is doing to our communities? I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because we all know that Facebook, for example, can really turn into like an echo chamber. Yes. On the other hand, there's a sense of community that can be built around affinity groups and interest areas and whole conversations that can happen that just simply are not going to happen in this community. I mean, I can't keep track even close of how many groups on Facebook I'm a part of. Yeah. And many of them are very niche 
weird things that, <laughs> that these people are interested in. I want to have those conversations. You would call it an echo chamber, but I want to talk with people who are interested in some of the same things I'm interested in and have those intellectual exchanges. And I actually feel sharpened and, and stimulated by that a lot yeah. of the time. I think it just needs to be a both and. And actually, I think it could be that kind of experience on social media could be a balancing force to the shrinking that needs to happen in, our, in the need for our village life, right? If, the, if, if village life depends on us uh, making some sacrifices in various ways to create an inclusive community and, and, and have shared priorities, then on the other hand, we can have another world where we can express ourselves more freely and have larger affinity groups and not depend on our on our village for for all of that if we do need to kind of scale down into more human size and human scale on the ground communities mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm i'm a little bit more of a techno optimist in that sense mm -hmm. like i and i just don't see yeah i don't i don't see it going away and it's deeply integrated into most of our consciousness now yeah um, absolutely so i think we it's it's kind of like how i see climate change like i'm so sick of of talking about how to reduce our carbon footprints like we're past we are the past. it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it agreed but we need to be talking about adaptive strategies for yeah. what's coming and i think the same thing with social media it's not going to stop no. and facebook yeah they own a lot of information about us and it's weird it's not something that we're used to yeah um in human history yeah we need to think about adaptive strategies rather than stop 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 yeah yeah, I think resilience, thinking through what's ahead of us and building in redundancies within the systems that we use and that we've grown to abuse might be something that we'll be facing in the future. Um, and I just think using social media to our advantage, that's within our own hands. That's our choice. Mm -hmm. And I hope that more people make that choice to use it for public good <laughs> yeah. rather than yes. detriment. I mean, certainly um, more closely tied to, you know, the local level, the Falls Village Forum group that we have on Facebook yeah. is one of the better things is it good? that's come about for our, for our village. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see, it has about 200 people, and I know yeah. not everyone's on Facebook or wants to be on that much, but yeah. um, in a town of a thousand people, I'd like to see it more like 600 people. Yeah. Um, I really would. Like, I think mm -hmm. it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. What's on there mostly? Do people bitch or are they sharing mo information? Mostly not bitching. Good. Mostly sharing information. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, one person's bitching is another person's sharing their their view of things mm -hmm. and i think that we do have to like give some leeway particularly when we don't have shared agreements about how we communicate yeah um you know we have to be a little bit generous with each other when this person says that you know something is uh, is horrible and unacceptable that at least we're hearing their voice and how do you not pile on to create more conflict but actually tie that into a conversation and invite 
those people in. And, and that has to do with, you know, individual skills. I mean, I'm, again, I'm a part of a lot of Facebook groups and yeah. some of them have really great admins and moderators. Yeah. And I think that some of those people are probably trained themselves and are trained in certain skills around community building and conversation and communication. Is that how Falls Village Forum is managed? I would say it's more grassroots. Yeah. I don't think I'm one of the admins and I believe Judy Jacobs is an admin. I think Lara Matoad Hafner yeah. is one of the admins and they're great people. Yes. And and I and, I, and I think that I think that we generally do a good job, but it's not um we're not activist mods, yeah. which I think can be very helpful where yeah. people are like, "Oh, here's a, you know, or you know, if I had more time for it or if I put more energy into it, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who's part of the group, but certainly mods and admins can say, you know, this week we're going to talk about River Road Homes and I'm going to start <laughs> oh four posts here to talk about things. And yeah. this week we're going to talk about the Rec Commission. Mm-hmm. Those things, you know, and it's particularly during the pandemic when we're not getting together, like there is so much potential. Yeah. There's so much potential. And you know, I think there's an unequal distribution of access to technology, and we talk about broadband as another issue yeah. in our town and in a lot of towns. I'm very disappointed that the only way that we can actually have the internet <laughs> in the 21st century is to like dig holes along I, every single road in our country. That's I, like. It's. I know. <laughs> I don't think that's the way. <laughs> uh, it just sounds like moving a lot of earth and taking a lot of um, energy to lay the fiber optics, but that's where our technology is. And I hope we get to 5G. I hope we just skip right over broadband. Yeah, I've heard that 5G won't work because it's still topographic. So like mm. where Beaver Tide's farm is down there in that little valley, yeah. they're just not going to get it, period. Yeah. Because they're in this valley yeah. and it will go yeah. over them. It's all kind of um, a bit over my head, yeah. so to speak. Anyway, th- those things require, you know, we realize this for our kids right in the school. Everybody needs a Chromebook. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of pieces of crap, but like <laughs> everybody needs a Chromebook, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. should just be the way it is. But and once you start going down that road, it, it does start looking a little bit more like, socialism and a little bit less like uh, cowboy country, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, again, there's culture war and and deeper social values issues that go along with any of those things where we say, like, everybody needs to act. Everybody needs to have health insurance. Everybody needs to get vaccinated. Yeah. This, I think, is also a generational thing. Although I have to say that I know a lot of people in our generation who also aren't getting vaccinated. Hmm. So... Um, as much as we sometimes might like to think that we share values across larger demographics, I, we don't. Well, I want to ask you something about being a father and if you do see hope for the future. Yeah, I do. Um, partially because I think we have to. And, and if you have kids... Um, you especially if, if have you, to. Yeah, if you didn't, it would be debilitating. Yeah. The thing that I'm most sensitive about with that is um, I don't like the thing where you raise your children and say to your kids, it's going to be up to you to save the world. Oh, gosh. It's really, really unfair. Yeah. You know, so I think that um, 
first of all, it's up to all of us, but certainly, you know, it's, it can't all be on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been said to, it was said to our generation too. Yeah. Remember, right. But partially it's said to be supportive and empowering. Like you can do it. You can make change. Is that change. why we're all very hard on ourselves? Maybe, maybe. But but I, I get it. Like I get saying to a kid, like you have the power to make a difference in the I world. I do, yeah. Right. Um, but it shouldn't be on their shoulders. My, my general feeling is that, you know, it comes back to that creativity piece. Again, we have a real dearth of creativity in our society, mm-hmm. even though we prize innovation in certain ways, it's it's just not the case that we're in a, what's it called? A, a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. This isn't the end. If it is, and if we go extinct or, or horrible things happen that are close to that, I mean, they're kind of happening now anyway, yeah. right? It just depends on who you are and where you live in the world. Yeah. But it will be for a lack of coming together mm-hmm. and being creative and certainly making some kinds of sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And maybe those will be sacrifices that we'll be happy to make because there's even better things that lie on the other side of them. But I do think that we can do it. And I think that we have the resources to do it. And uh, I love um, the thinking of Buckminster Fuller, who's like mid 20th century, kind of like utopian sort of thinker, but also brilliant, somewhat grounded, uh, tech, technological. He invented those, those, those Dymaxion domes. You ever see those domes that are like the geometrical things? That was one of, one of his things, but there's a great book that he wrote called Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth, Mm. that spaceship thing. And, and he shows that there really is enough for everybody. In mm. fact, with an abundance mentality and a shift in the way that our priorities are as a society, yeah. can be more than enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. We can really thrive. And the population limits aren't what we think that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the energy limits aren't what we think that they are. It's just that we're really stuck in our ways. Yeah. Um, and so I think that we need a, it's a consciousness transformation. Mm. It's really more of a cultural thing or you know, if the if the term resonates, a spiritual thing mm-hmm. more than than technical tweaks and fixes. And so, you know, I absolutely think that it's possible. I have hope. I I feel I feel a little bit like a hope fiend. You know, <laughs> like I'm 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 looking for it, and that's how I get my fix. Yeah. I think there's a lot of potential and possibility, mm-hmm. and it's at every scale. So. I, so again, it's that here-ness, yeah. like I'm here. Mm-hmm. So this is where I'm going to put a lot of my energy. Yeah. And that raises the stakes for, for here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can't get too dejected or, or, or disheartened. That doesn't serve no. us or anybody either. Yeah, but it also motivates. Right, mm-hmm. right, because we know that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And then when we see things not hitting the mark, yeah, it can hurt a little more because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it, we're, we were like almost there, yeah. you know. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sitting down with me today. So fun. Thanks for inviting me. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this podcast 
belong to the person saying them and not necessarily to myself as the creator of Competent Young Woman. This podcast and the time and means I spend producing it are not tied to or funded by my employer. Competent Young Woman is my own independent venture. I'd like to thank my sound engineer, Rodney Sino Cruz, for his talent and his willingness to work with me in country town, Connecticut from big city LA. For story tips, advertising opportunities, partnerships, or just to say hello, you can email me at competentyoungwoman at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.